I have a friend that lives in New York City that went to uh, the New York Rangers game, and she's sending me pictures of Kane in a New York Rangers uniform. I don't know that I've ever been so depressed. Well, I probably have. But never when Karen Conti is in the studio, ever. Hi, Karen. Hi, Steve. How are you? Oh, I'm, so, I'm, I'm upset because we've got – I'm happy that the game is on, but that means you're not – but you are right now. I know. I'm. I'm. You, you were so nice to share a microphone with me today since I was off. Um, but it's nice to be here as a guest as opposed to a host. Whole different uh, set of skills. You're never off. Not Karen <laughs> Conti. The best dressed person in broadcasting. I believe you wake up with that look and you go to bed with that look. She, you're always like on as far as there was a quote. And I'm not comparing you with Dolly Parton, so don't get upset. But there was a quote that Dolly said. And she was sitting next to, she just did a, uh, uh, a song with uh, Dionne Warwick, a duet. And, and Dion said, I've never met anyone like this. If I went to her house at six in the morning, she would look the same as if I went to her house at midnight. I mean, because she's always got the makeup and all this stuff, right? And she's always ready for action. Well, well you see, too. You know, I just read this on the internet, like the 10 things you should do working remotely. And one of them, as they say, is to kind of get dressed up, put on makeup, comb your hair, because there's like a mental part of doing that that sort of makes you feel more professional, makes you feel more functional. And if I came in the radio just like dragging my myself in my pajamas and my fluffy uh, slippers, which I do see a lot of people walking around downtown Chicago with just that get up on. They do. I think I would be a different uh, person on the air. I like to I like to feel like I'm ready to go with the mascara on and everything. Can we sue someone for walking down the street with the fluffy slippers and pajamas? I've Love seen to that do too. It. Love to people, do it. People, I swear, it's what they wore to bed. And it's not like they're walking their dog at five in the morning. It's like uh, I don't know, noon or two in the afternoon. Yeah. In yeah. I don't get that one. No. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I want to ask you about, I, I guess they're calling it the trial of the decade, uh, the Alex Murtaugh trial. I am surprised it's not already a movie of the week. I'm sure it will be. Well, there's two documentaries that are really good right, on I it. Heard yeah, about that. the Netflix yeah. one is really good. I think it's called Murdoch Murders: A Southern Scandal. And for anyone who is a, a, like a person who likes true crime or who likes society uh, vent, you know, uh, stories, I, I have to say. What you know from this trial is just a tip of the iceberg. There are so many other moving pieces to this this family dynamic and the deaths that were associated with this family. It's just unbelievable how the family got away with this for so many years. And uh, yeah, it'll be a made-for-TV movie. It will go on and on because it, it has all the elements. It has drug addiction. It has privilege. It has race. It has dead housekeepers. You know, <laughs> yeah. it has a dead animal. Uh, yeah, wasn't there? yeah. Just I thought so much going on. So, so, so um, the judge throughout this thing was like, "I'm here. I'm the judge." He had control. Yes, he, he took very good control. And then at the very end. He kind of let loose, didn't he? He did. I did not expect that. But you know what's interesting, Stephen? This is my read on it. South Carolina has a reputation for having the fewest, and this is a fact, actually. It's not even a reputation. The fewest minorities on the bench. 12% of all judges are minorities, and that's all minorities. So he's an African-American judge, and he said a few things that I took to just, he said, you know, your family controlled justice, you know, in this community for all this time. And I don't know why you didn't, the death penalty wasn't on the table. He essentially said that. Hmm. And I think what I was reading between the lines is 
You guys were prosecutors. You guys put people to jail. You guys put people to death. My guess is a large amount of them were African-Americans because African-Americans you know, get, get the death penalty a lot more than, than white people do. And that is a, that is a fact. And I think what he wanted to say was, now it's your time, buddy. I mean, you came from all this money and this privilege and you put people away and you didn't even get the death penalty for this horrendous double murder. I mean, it was gruesome. Um, so I, it was, if you, if you watch that again and think of it in that uh, context and that lens, I think you'll hear me out on that one. He said that, uh, this might be, it might be that I'm paraphrasing totally here that the drugs may have taken over your personality or, or something to that effect, yeah. but he had no, sympathy for that either he did not and he said yeah maybe that wasn't you there maybe it was the monster you became after you took all those drugs but he wasn't having any of it because you know a lot of us you know have our issues a lot of people are addicted to all kinds of things but that doesn't make him a murderer you know and uh yeah no i thought i thought it was well done and i think it was well deserved Mm -hmm. um (laughs) was it the crime of the i don't know decade or however many years and did you know at the very beginning that this would turn into the drama it did and that he was going to be guilty i didn't know he was going to be guilty in fact i thought i really if i were a betting person i would have thought he was going to walk walk despite the fact that he was guilty or walk because he was not guilty I, I didn't know, but there was there was a ton of reasonable doubt in my view. I mean, the compromised crime scene. There were two weapons used. Who uses two weapons in a crime? One, you know, one gun wasn't even found. And the motive, Steve, even though motive doesn't have to be proven by a prosecutor, mm-hmm. the jury wants it. And I wanted it. Here's a guy who was all about money. He stole eight million dollars to fund his opioid uh, addiction. Why would you kill your wife and your son to 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 defer attention away from your financial crimes? That doesn't ring true. If there were if there was insurance money, I could go. All right, so he st- stood to make a million dollars, so he could put it in his pocket and and you know buy his drugs. Yeah. But that just doesn't ring true because, by all accounts, the one thing in his life that was pretty steady was his relationship with his family, and that was a good relationship. Maybe too good. Maybe too permissive. But. That just still doesn't ring true to me. And what does ring true to me is that he made so many enemies, he and his family, by all these deaths. And like I said, watch this Netflix show and there would be plenty of people who are angry enough, who lost money, who lost lives, who would have wanted family members harmed. Well, in fact, we're going to hear from some of those people because this is not the end for Murtaugh, is it? No. Yeah, there are civil, is that right? There are civil suits? Well, there's there's 99 counts of financial crimes. Well, that's a problem. That's a problem. <laughs> yeah. And all those civil suits. I mean, the young woman who died in the boating accident where his son was uh, drunk boating driving, uh, he, she, her, that family is suing. The housekeeper is suing because she accidentally, quote, accidentally fell. And then he sued uh, himself and not only didn't give him the money, took it himself. And then there's a young man. This is something that was only on that Netflix show. A young man who's supposedly associated with one of, had a relationship maybe with one of the sons, was found dead in the middle of a road. And it was not ruled to be a, a car accident. So what happened there? One thing about talking to Karen Conti, off the air or on the air, I learned things. I had no idea that there may be a serial killer with all the other things going on in Chicago that under the wire, so to speak, there may be a serial killer. I want to talk about that. And I want to talk about a book you're working on 
that you'll tell us all about. Steve Dale back with you on WGN talking with the great, she is, Karen Conti, who's been at this radio station for not as long as I have, but nearly. I think in 15 years. Oh, that's getting, that's a long time. In ra- I've been here, I think, 26 years. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but I don't look a day past it. <laughs> so I had no idea. I mean, we were you had, uh, we had mayoral candidate Paul Vallison. We were talking about the tragic murder of the Chicago police officer mm. that just occurred. Um, and they're occurring too often. And we talked about that. We talked about the problem among police officers of suicide in this city. It's true across the country, but in this city being more. But we had, I had no idea about a serial killer on top of everything else that's going on. Well, Steve, nobody's talking about this. And why? I don't know. I keep saying to myself, self, why am I the only person talking about this? If you, and when you talk to yourself, do you answer? I do answer. And I'm always right. <laughs> <laughs> Spoken like a true lawyer. <laughs> no, um, all, ser- all, all, all seriousness aside, as I was going to say, um, in the last, I'll say, year and a half, yeah. f- depending on how you number these, these 14 or 15 young men have disappeared largely from River North or coming out of a bar somewhere. Their last scene may be coming from, you know, a party or a bar. They're... Missing for a while, and then they're found in the Chicago River, the lake, or some other river or waterway in and around the Chicago area. Okay, so about four weeks ago, I did a show on this, and there's a journalist who did write about it, and I talked to him about it. And I talked to an investigator who has tied these murders to what they call the smiley face killer. What is that? It's a group of people they suspect are doing these crimes, and they've done them for 20 or 30 years. They're ritualistic in nature, and there's almost 400 of them. And depending, Ritualistic meaning religious? I don't know, but they say that uh, at the scene of where the, they were found, where the waterway was, there is a smiley face in a, in a large number of these cases. I have no idea what this means. This is not your typical serial killer, because usually that's a one person who's doing it. But if you Google it and watch it, I'm telling you, it's unbelievable. Now, Steve, since my show four weeks ago, three more men, one yesterday found, this one a little farther out, Kishwaukee River out in, I think they say it's uh, Genoa, not Genoa, I think they call it Genoa, which is near DeKalb. Same thing, white boy, young boy. Um, Are these all young men? Is there young white males? They're either in college, they're college educated. They they are this this one was going into a liquor store, came out of the liquor store, and was never seen again. And then a week later, his body is found in the Kishwaukee River. Does sexual orientation have anything to do with this? No, absolutely not, and and not they're they're not gay. Hmm. Uh, and there's no idea, all young right? Yeah. And there's no idea that they were sexually abused either. Of course, the police aren't telling us anything about how they got there. I mean, there's this idea that kids just get drunk. You kids, I say kids, young men get drunk and they just trip and fall in the river and they're found dead. I'm not buying that. Not <laughs> not 15 or 16 of them. No, um, I have a text here that says, and I don't understand it, but you might. Smiley is the most common graffiti in the world. Yes. And in fact, you know, they're absolutely right, uh, Texter. And well, that's why. My listeners are always right. And that's why uh, that whole theory has been 
you know, it, it has been challenged because you can find smiley faces anywhere in the world, really. And the idea that smiley faces are near where these bodies were found is just probably a matter of number. Now, I'm not sure I believe that either. Hmm. So, uh, again, I, sh- I urge your uh, listeners to find the there's a uh, it's not really well done, but it's it's very compelling called the smiley face killer. And it's a whole expose on it. And then keep your eye on the newspaper because they're having they're happening every two weeks, almost to a day. Wow. Every two weeks. But not every day, not every month, but every two weeks. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. So there's a pattern. Yes. What you suggest. Now, you know something about serial killers as it turns out and you're writing about it yeah steve i wrote about it uh i represented a serial killer many years ago uh, whose name we might remember yes john wayne gacy and i never i never wanted to write a book or, or have you know ha- i just didn't want to go there and people asked me to write because i would talk about my experience and i'd lecture about the death penalty and and I just kind of thought it wasn't it wasn't my deal. But then I finally said to myself, you know what? People are still asking me about it, interviewing me on all these different shows. And I thought, you know, I do have a story to tell. And now, all these years later, when I look back at hindsight, it's it's almost it's almost more interesting to look at it from a different lens. And so I sat down, started during COVID, and I finished the book last year. And now I have an agent, and they're out pu- trying to publish it. Am I in the book? You are not. Good. I did not know you back then. No. And for this book, it's a good thing that I'm not in the book. What do you think the fascination all these years later is in what was one uh, clearly one sick dude? Yeah, I don't think it will ever go away. I, I don't think that the fascination with the Bundys of the world and the Dahmers of the world and, you know, the, the Jack the Rippers of the world, you know? I, I grew up with Jack the Ripper, like the 15th different show and 12th different book I read about it. Um, and remember, there's a whole generation of people who didn't live through it and, you know, don't know anything about it other than what they're seeing on some of these new documentary documentaries. But, um, you know, my my point in the book is not anything about the crimes because i was in high school and the crimes were being committed i mean i was a young a young yeah. kid uh but flash ahead i now get this high profile case and i'm one of the people on the last death row appeals and it was really an amazing experience to to work on something so difficult and so high profile and so unpopular at such a young age and again you can believe in the death penalty or not and you can criticize me for doing what i did but it was an interesting experience and i tell you about my experience and and um and what it's like to deal with someone who's that evil well when the book actually comes out we'll have you on again and great i'm sure i'll talk to you before then on the radio and off the radio right Uh, but yeah i know from spending some time with you i mean these stories are more than fascinating. I was like, wow, you know. We're we're fascinated in this world by the best, the Serena Williams, the GOATs, and we're also fascinated by the worst. Indeed. Uh, and fascinated by what you do. So I was talking, in fact, I've got the book right here. It's called Only Prince Charming Gets to Break the Rules, Gender and Rule Violation in Fairy Tales and Life. To oh, the author cool. of this book. Yeah. Her name is Dr. Ann Beal, and she said that lawyers, as one example, if you're a woman practicing law and you do something bad, and the same exact crime is committed by uh, one of your colleagues who happens to be a man, the penalty is so different and the expectations are so different, 
if even there is a penalty for the man other than hand slapping, women pay a more significant price. You came up in the world of law where maybe it wasn't so easy to be a woman, and I don't know that it is today even. It was a lot harder 36 years ago. I I mean, the things that I went through and the harassment and stuff that I just kind of took for granted, and when the whole Me Too movement came, I was like, Me Too? (laughs) Yeah, like over and over again. That's why they call it that. But, you know, how you handle it is different. Different people handle it differently, and I I maybe just sort of sloughed it off and just moved ahead. Uh, And I'm not suggesting that you do that. It's just the way I handled it because it wasn't popular to report people. If you did, you'd be blackballed, not only in your firm, you'd be blackballed in the community. So I think things are better for women, but I don't think they were all the way there yet. I just don't. And that data, she says, is from the American Bar Association. Absolutely. So now you have a different world professionally. Yeah, I I just merged my practice with uh, uh, Patrick Dolan, who's a great employment lawyer, and I just thought it was really good to have like another lawyer in the office. I know that didn't I just hear him on WGN? Yeah, he he's on with John Hansen. He's been on with me. He's he he likes radio a lot, and he's got good energy. And he's got to be a good guy then. He's a great guy, and and we're you know we figure like. Your home stuff, I do the family law, and he does the work stuff. So it's kind of a good blend because, you know, where, where do we spend all our time? We spend our time at home. We spend our time at work. Yeah. And he's very good. He represents people, employers, but he mostly represents employees in cases where they've been wrongfully fired. Or he negotiates a severance package uh, or those types of things. And he's just very good at what he does. So it's a really nice little blend of a practice now. Oh Well, congratulations. Thank you. Where, where is that located? We're at uh, Monroe and Dearborn in the old IBM building. I, I always say right next to uh, the Italian village because that's easier for people. <laughs> uh, and, and maybe you go there for lunch every I once in a while. I can smell it when I walk outside. <laughs> Literally, I bet. I bet. And you're right on top of all these theaters in the theater district yeah. as well. So that is a, a very interesting thing that you merge those two at this particular time. Seems the timing is right for that too, isn't it? It is, and you know, you being in a partnership is a hard business entity because you know it's just you know you have to. I'm used to making my own decisions, and so we kind of decided we. And each one can, of the more high profile lawyers in this time. Ta- well, this ta- thank you, but uh, you know, I I just think that he makes his own decisions. I'll make my own decisions, and but together, hopefully, we'll be better together than apart. And I think it's always good to have a collaborative issue in the in the in the in the law firm. So if I have a problem. Problem and I can't brainstorming. How do I resolve this issue? It's it's good to have a second mature lawyer brain weigh in on it, so so I can you know whether I take that that advice or or put it into my own head. Um, it's it's always good to have two heads going. Yeah. So uh, let me let me ask you a question. Have you ever said off? This is out of left field. Someone calls your office and says, "Oh, would you represent me?" And you say, "No." Because the story is so wacky. Has that ever happened? Where someone's called you at the craziest thing in the world and you've said, I, no. I get, and this is really serious, I, I get a lot of calls from people who are mentally ill. 
Okay, oh. so a lot of calls. I was looking for a funny answer, yeah, not yeah. that. No, that people are, you know, the CIA is after me and, and Jesse Jackson just, you know, uh, try to kill me. And so, you know, like all these people, they're like, you know, they have my number from WGN or from elsewhere. And I feel so bad for them because they're obviously very, very damaged. So, yeah, yeah obviously, I, I'm not going to represent them and, and they need other kinds of help. But, but yeah, I mean, I have some people who call me and the story doesn't make sense. And I try to get to the bottom of it. It. You know, I try to say, come on, let's just get real on it. But if someone's lying to me, I really, that's not a good start to the relationship. <laughs> no, but no one's ever called you and said, I want a divorce from my three wives. Oh. Nothing like that. <laughs> no, never. It sounds like a reality show. <laughs> and so does this trial that you and I were talking about. In fact, a lot of what you do, typically you are on WGN Sunday afternoons at? From three to five. And it uh, looks like I'm not going to be on until maybe April. Okay. I'm well, preempted by all those sports shows. All those sports shows, one of which is coming up at about 3.15 today, actually, a basketball game. And before that, Michigan and Indiana will be talking with Joe Brand about the Chicago Blackhawks. Karen, it is always a pleasure to see you. Thank you for having me in here.